What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's edition of the Dolphins In-Depth Podcast. I'm Daniel Oyafusi, back from my trip to London to watch the Dolphins take on the Jacksonville Jaguars at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I first want to say a shout-out and thank you to all the Dolphins fans in the U.K. who reached out to me and helped for a story that I wrote and all the kind words and hospitality that you guys had. It was really appreciated, and I just hope that you guys enjoyed the game as much as I did, albeit uh, with the loss. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of that. Um, I know for the past few weeks I've been saying – you know, where do we go from here? Where do we, where do we go with this team? And, uh, you know, that's, that, that doesn't stop after a fifth straight loss. Uh, but I want, first want to introduce this guest. We have Alan Parr, who covers the Dolphins for, uh, SI. Alan, I want to say thank you, uh, for ha- coming on the show and welcome. It's my pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Of course, I, of course. I want to do fun talking about the trials and tribulations of our beloved Dolphins. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. And it's been, uh, it's been kind of depressing the past couple of weeks, man. Like a, a whole month without a win, five straight losses. This most previous one to the to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were zero and five entering Week Six. Uh, it doesn't get any worse than that. And I even I even wrote it. Like I, I don't know. Is, is this rock bottom? Have, have they hit rock bottom? Can they get any lower? Um, I guess we're about to find out. Um, but I, I think a recurring kind of tweet and thoughts that I that I saw after that loss and in the, the following days was the need for people to lose their jobs and for a midseason shakeup. And when you talk about doing stuff like that, you know, it, it gets it gets pretty serious. Um, you know, I've heard everything from Brian Flores needs to go to Chris Greer needs to be shown the door. They need to kind of re reboot this thing and you know, I, I'm kind of wary to say blow things up in the middle of the season. Um, you know, given you know Flores' track record and uh, kind of getting this team on the right spot in the right track. I know Chris Greer has um, you know rightly been criticized for a lot of his whiffs um, as a GM, but I'm kind of wary to to try to blow things up midseason. I mean, what do you what do you feel about that? I mean, what is the what is the fix? That's what everybody wants to know. How do you fix this team, and can it be fixed at least? Mid-season. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure it can be fixed for 2021. I, I think right now it's more about can the organization be fixed so where this kind of season doesn't happen again. This was supposed to be the big step forward after last year's 10 and six, and instead it's a major step back. And it's I mean, talk about a downer. Wah, wah. <laughs> um, and look, I get it that everybody want want heads to roll, but I, I have two two thoughts on this. Number one, for those who want the head of GM Chris Greer, given the way Brian Flores was hired in 2019 after he had won a Super Bowl with the Patriots, uh, very, very hot commodity. The Dolphins gave him a five-year contract, which is actually more than the norm, which is usually four years. Do we honestly believe that Brian Flores has no say-so in the personnel decision and that's entirely Chris Greer? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I, I don't buy that for a second. And that to me, then it's completely unfair to dump Chris Greer because he's the GM in title. So that's number one. Number two. Okay. It's great. Uh, the, uh, this notion of dumping Brian Flores in the middle of the season. Okay. Say you want to do that. I'm not on board with that, but say if you wanted to do that, who is the interim head coach on this staff? Yeah. A lot, I mean, a lot of, there's not, there's not like an established kind of, you know, veteran coach or long tenured assistant who can really go in there. I mean, you have Josh Boyer, you have, um, you know, he's a young guy. Um, George Godsey and Eric Stusco are a little bit older. 
Um, and, you know, Gatti has the experience being a former OC, but I, I just don't know. If, I don't know who you're going to tap to really step into that role. And I mean, I know Danny Crossman is an assistant head coach and for his, uh, you know, thinks highly of him, but I just don't know. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know, when you do those mid-season uh, head coach fires, firings, it's almost like, um, I'll put it this way, and I said it earlier. I was talking to somebody uh, earlier. I said, you know, if if the Dolphins were five and eleven in 2019 and four in his first year, and then they were four and twelve in his second year, and then they started off like this, okay, I get it. Because then it's like you just made the wrong hire, and and things just he just isn't isn't the guy. But given the fact that you have seen that steady improvement, despite them kind of taking a step back so far this season, I think that again, Flores' track record, it. Given that, I think he deserves the right, and he's earned the right to at least finish out the season. Uh, that, that's what I, I, I think. Just like offer, like he, he deserves the right to at least see to see if he can turn things around. You know? No, yeah, and I, I have no issue with that. And I would make the argument. And you look at the team they had last year. I look at their roster. To me, that doesn't say ten and six. I think Flores did a very good job of like squeezing everything out of that team. And then the flip side to that, though, is that 2020 was a season where it seemed like everything that could go right went right for the Dolphins, for the most part. And then this year, it's Murphy's Law, where every little thing that could go wrong. I mean, look at the game against Jacksonville. I mean, where Matthew Wright, who had kicked all of four field goals in his career, all of all last year, none longer than 46. I mean, no offense, but where does he get off coming off the practice squad – being elevated Saturday and making a 54-yard field goal. And then you, can't, you, can't make it up. you can't make no, it up. No, you can't make it up. And, it's again, it's a Murphy's Law type of season that's going on. And I think fans are going to absolutely hate this. But I don't know that right now there is anything – there is any drastic solution other than stay the course. See it out, yeah. See it out and let it play out. And to me, this is a different topic, but – Touching on this real quickly, the rest of this season needs to be about evaluating Tua Tango-Vailoa to see if you have your quarterback set or if you need to go quarterback shopping in the offseason. And yeah. that that becomes a priority. Exactly, and, and that's really what I wanted to get into next. You know, I've, like I said, I've, I've seen a lot of questions. How can the season be saved? How can the season be salvaged? I think that at this point, we fans, really the organization, media members, we all have to kind of adjust our uh, – our expectations for the season. You know, I know that there were some people who were, were really bullish on this team. Some people who weren't as bullish um, thought that, you know, they weren't going to, they weren't ready to take that next step. Um, I think that regardless, a lot of that was uh, dependent on your view of Tua. And, you know, the facts are that he's only started, I mean, he he's, has quote unquote 11 games under start, but he's been benched in games. He's been knocked out of some games. It's not a real full sample size yet. Um, he just came back this past Sunday from broken ribs and, I think that he played pretty well in his first game back. I think that um, he kind of elevated a struggling offense, even though they only scored, still only scored 20 points. Um, and, you know, I think that if anything, you can leave that game saying, well, they didn't lose the game because of Tua, you know. Um, so I, I kind of view the next 11 games as let's see what Tua can do. Can he improve? Because, um, you know, you already have questions about the GM. You got questions about the head coach. Maybe you can leave this season saying we don't have questions about the quarterback, and maybe we just got to get the pe- right people and right players around the quarterback. You know? Yeah, I'm I'm certainly not there yet. I need I need to be convinced. And it's it's actually kind of ironic that you made the point and a very good point that two was not the reason they lost on Sunday. But guess what? It, it's going to be an L on his record as a as a starting quarterback, yeah. which 
which brings me back to what always annoys me about Tua defenders, or like they're always pointing to his one loss record. One loss record is not a, is not a quarterback stat; it's a team stat. Yeah, I mean, like there were. But the quarterback of, often has a lot of say in that, though. Would you not admit? Uh, I'll buy that to a certain <laughs> degree, but there were a lot of games. There was a game last year. I mean, Tua's first started last year against the Rams. With all due respect, it was borderline brutal. Except the Dolphins got a punt return for a touchdown, they got a fumble return for a touchdown, and they got another fumble return to the one yard line. Yeah. Well, that's 21 points right there, and the Dolphins won 28-17, and Tua threw for 93 yards and got a and got a W. So that that W wasn't really on him, just like the L on Sunday wasn't on him. Or that um, L in week two that was going to be that's placed on him, even though he got knocked out after the. Second possession, exactly. So I get you. Right. And they weren't winning that game anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, here's the thing, though. I, I'm not sure if I buy the – even though I agree with you that Tua played well, uh, I'm not sure I buy this notion of the elevated the offense mm-hmm. because, because let me ask you this. If Jacoby Brissett's the quarterback on Sunday, do the Dolphins not score 20 points? Uh, that's a good question. I don't – I mean, well, I'll say – I don't want to take a dig at Jacoby, but I would say – if Jacoby's a starter, I know the ball isn't getting thrown as deep as it was with Tua in there. Um, and, and granted, Tua wasn't Patrick Mahomes on Sunday. He wasn't throwing it 30 yards down the field and doing all types of crazy stuff. But you, you did see a little more flow to the offense. They got Mike Gusecki a lot more involved than we've seen him in recent weeks. And, again, they only scored 20 points, so it's not like it's not like the, the offense was drastically different. But they had 48 dropbacks in the uh, – and. Tua wasn't sacked. That wasn't necessarily because of the offensive line. That's because Tua was evading pressure and scrambling and whatnot. So whether it's the the more willingness to throw downfield, the ability to evade pressure a little bit, the ability to be a little more mobile. I mean, yeah, he. I think he did elevate it. And and, and we have to remember this was a game. It's, it's funny. I'm gonna. I'm coming off as like a big Tua supporter, and I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm down. <laughs> I feel like I'm down the middle, but I feel like I have to be fair. You know, if he's if he's bad, I'm gonna say he's bad. If he's good, I'm gonna say he's good. And, and I'm trying to make the point that you know without. Preston Williams without Devontae um, Parker, without Adam Shaheen, you know, with a bad offensive line, you know, again, those bookend tackles are struggling. And for him not to be sacked and for him to, you know, put up the numbers that he did, I think that was more about him than necessarily about the guys around him. That's fair, but I, I think I thought the offensive line wasn't terrible. There were a couple of times that uh, Tua had to scramble to make something happen when there was pressure. But yeah. there are a couple of occasions when he had nice protection too, and I'll think back. That's fair. That's fair. There's one play that jumps out to me: the fourth and ten, the fourth, and, sorry, the fourth and two to Matt Collins for 20 yards. Yep. I mean, was... he had all day to throw. Yeah. And he was able to like step into it, and he and he fired that ball, and that was a beautiful play. But the offensive line did a good job there. Uh, overall, though, yeah, the the pass protection was spotty, but for this offensive line, actually, it wasn't too bad. Um, Here's the thing too: is if we're going to be honest, that Jacksonville defense is brutal. You're right. You're right. And we and we have and we have to we have to we have to look at everything um, through layers. You know, we can we can say Tua played well, but also say it was against a bad defense. You know, I want to see what Tua does when they play the Bills after the Falcons and when they play the Ravens and when they play some of these better teams. I, I definitely do want to see that. But so again, yeah, we can say Tua played well, but there's also a caveat and you know, we can we it's not it's not you're not a hater if you say I want to see more. I want to see him do it against better talent. So that's fair. No, no question. And like you mentioned though, for for his first game back, 
it was a really good, solid effort. And, and I, I don't want to say it was exactly what you wanted to see, but it was most of what you wanted to see. There were a couple of bad decisions that he needs to, he needs to stop, like the third and two when he's rolling out and he's got 12 yards of open field in front of him and he decides to throw the ball. Yeah. Uh, force, forcing the deep pass to Jalen Waddle down the sideline when he's got Isaiah Ford down the middle was not a good play either. The pick is obvious. And then the other one at the end of the first half when he's throwing a check down to Malcolm Brown in the middle of the field, which wound up costing, I don't know, like 20 seconds to gain seven yards, yeah. which, which was a killer, wound up forcing them to try a 58-yard field goal, which Jason Sanders didn't make, and but you can't necessarily knock him for that. But, again, it, to me it was a good start, but certainly the, the, the stamp of approval is not there yet. Yeah, well, I, I want to ask you, because um, going back to my point about kind of salvaging the season and using it just to evaluate Tua, I say I think I misjudged the the composition of the roster. I think a lot of people misjudged it. Um, they've had injuries, but the talent overall from top to bottom isn't at the level of a contender or even a legitimate playoff team. I think we I think we can say that, correct? No question about it. Given that, let's say the they're one in five right now. Let's say Tua is able to stay healthy, play out the remaining eleven games, and let's say the team goes six and five. Seven and four with two under center, and you and you do see like marked improvement from him as a rookie. We don't know what's going to happen with Greer. We don't know what's going to ha- happen with Flores. But let's say, like I said, let's say they go, they finish one game above five hundred, six and five, seven and four with Tua um, under center. I mean, do you feel more confident to the point where you say we don't need a we don't need a quarterback. We just need to maybe move the move the coach, move the GM fix the offensive line, and then do you go from there? Or do you still say, because uh, by then we would have had about 20-ish games of, or about 20 games under under his belt and that sample size. In that case, do you say we got our guy or we need to look for the guy? No, to me it's actually, and it's very, very subjective. If I'm the GM or if I'm running the Dolphins and they ask for my opinion, which they won't, but in case they did, <laughs> is is I want to see it. It's okay. Like, and, and I'm not, not a talking, record, not a record, but it's no, correct. And I'm not talking about like leadership and all that rah rah. Like when he grabbed Matt Collins in the in the huddle and put him in the right way, big whoop on that. I want to yeah. see like throws that tell me, man, that guy, that's a franchise quarterback right there. Like last year, for example, in a small sample size, Joe Burrow had a couple of throws where you're like, oh, that's big time right there. Yeah. Justin Herbert last year, even though his, his number, well, his numbers were really good, but there were a couple of throws. Forget his numbers. There were a couple of throws that he made, and it's like, oh, my Lord, that's a guy right there. Yeah. So and I haven't. So you want to see the throws in the moments. Correct. And I haven't seen that from Tua. And even when he plays well, and even when mm-hmm. he played well last year, it's, I don't want to say game managing, but it, it's like, it's managing situations, you know, and, and, it's going to be difficult for me to be wild by Tua because, again, he's, he's not tall and he doesn't have a big arm. So it, it's, it's, it's a lot tougher to do that. So for me, it's a higher bar to cross than it would be for Herbert, who's 6'6", 240. So if I see him throw a laser between two defenders right to his guy, I'm like, okay, that's yeah, the guy. You can, build, you can build off that. <laughs> you yeah, can, you can check work. off that. Okay, quarterback, check, we're done. So, no, that's and, fair. but the record, the records are relevant. If I see that from Tua at some point, they can go five and twelve, and it won't matter. That's a good point. I, I think that's a fair point because you know, as somebody, you know, you're someone who was able to see him 
as a rookie last year and now you're watching him now. I obviously wasn't around on the beat, so I wasn't watching him then. But I will admit when you bring that up, I haven't I don't I don't I can't really point out a certain play. Obviously he's only he's only played two full games that I've seen, but I haven't really seen that play or that throw that makes me like kind of sit back in my seat and go, Oh, okay, okay. I really should have had that moment. And granted, he only played two games. So, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this to say he can't be the guy, but that is a good point that you make. Another thing that, that stands out to me in your point is um, when you look at the fourth and one shotgun run to Malcolm Brown that uh, was stuffed short, I know we can critique any play, but I would have loved to see him put the ball in the hands of Tua um, and just see what he could do. You know, I'm not saying that they didn't give the ball to Tua because they don't trust him or whatever, but I would have just loved to see it. Like, that's that's the type of moment where, regardless whether you need one yard, two yards, ten yards, you feel like you should put the ball in your quarterback's hands and say, okay, hey, lead us to the promise like move the chains. And I feel like that's, you know, more – of course, of course, that play resulted in, you know, Jacksonville getting the ball in great field position and ultimately kicking the game-winning field goal. But I feel like almost like robbed because it's like we didn't get to see – it's almost like in basketball when you don't put the the ball in your best player's hands to shoot the last shot, um, so, and then you're you're wondering like, well, you know, is he clutch or is he not? You know, yeah, I know it's a buzzword being clutch, but I would have loved to just see see that, and at least we can kind of add that to the to the resume and as we as we kind of judge him and, and make our decisions on him, you know. No question about it, and also it, this is a I mean, look, this is a game deciding play. You, you know, if they get the first down, chances are they're, they're, they're driving for a field goal and they're winning. And if they don't get it, what happened is going to happen. And call me crazy, but if it, in a game deciding play, I like to be my best player to have the ball to be the one making the play. Well, ideally, if we're going to move forward with Tua as a franchise quarterback, that needs to be Tua. So whether, whether you give him a run pass option, I mean, do something other than hand the ball off to Malcolm Brown. I mean, seriously. And, of course, if Durham Smythe doesn't get blown off by Josh Allen, who knows, maybe the play works and we're not having this conversation. But the, the, your point remains and very valid that put the ball in the hands of your playmaker in a game-deciding situation like that. Yeah, I know um, You know, we had um, assistant coach availability at the practice facility, and I specifically asked George Gatte about that. I asked, you know, why didn't you do a quarterback sneak? Or why don't you throw the ball? He kind of – pointed out some various factors, which to his credit, I think that those were all fair points. He said number one on the quarterback sneak was that um, both Jacoby and Tua were hurt. Um, obviously, Jacoby had the hamstring issue, but he was still able to play. They even brought him in. I, I thought it was interesting, that point that he made, because they brought in Jacoby on a third and one play. Mm-hmm. And he was under center, and they actually did a play-action fake, and they threw a pass 25 yards down the field. Um, so I thought that was an interesting point. And then obviously, Tua with the ribs, you might not really want to put him in those bodies where people are falling on him and whatnot. So I, I guess I get that. The second point you said was, you know, we uh, on the previous possession, they had tried a third down uh, pass. I'm not, I forget how many yards they needed to get the first down, but that was the pass to Miles Gaskin that was pretty much dropped. Flo challenged it. It wasn't overturned, and then they had to Of course, you dropped it because you dropped everything on Sunday. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a rough day. It was a rough day for Miles Gaskin. Um, and then he pointed out, well, we did run it on third and short before with Malcolm and we got it. So, but, but when you, I know, like I said, you can question any play, but it's just like shotgun, fourth and one. It didn't even look like fourth and one. It looked like fourth and literally like a couple inches with that offensive line. It's just kind of a, 
I don't know, just it seemed like Tua said, she obviously, you know, Tua being the team first guy he is, he was like, yeah, I, you know, we have a lot of checks, we can make audibles, but we're just trying to put the best guys in the best position to succeed. And it's like, I get that, and no disrespect to Malcolm Brown, but I can't say that Malcolm Brown is the best player in that situation to get that yardage. That's just me. No, no question. And here's two things, too. You can't run a quarterback sneak with Tua, so that wasn't an option because uh, he's too small. But I, I, if Jacoby Brissett's hamstring is bad enough that he can't run a quarterback sneak, I'm gonna ask, why, is he, why is he active then? Have Reed Sennett out there. Because uh, Jacoby's 6'4", what, 230? Seemed to me like that would have been the smart play. And I'll give you another one, too. When the previous – fourth and one when they punted and they tried to that whole ridiculous thing of trying to draw the Jaguars offside, which was telegraphed from 17 miles away. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you bring Jacoby Brissett into the game just to pretend you're going to do a quarterback yeah. to try to point. get the Jaguars to jump offside? I didn't think um, about that. Yeah. So the whole sequence was just very weird. I had zero problem with them going forward on fourth and one at that spot. In fact, that's the play I would have gone nuts had they not gone forward. Yeah. But the play call was not good. Yeah, I, I think that um, throughout this five-game losing streak, I think you can point out a lot of different things. I know the early shift was the offensive line, then it was Jacoby Brissett. Um, the defense got, you know, took its lumps. This is the first game that I left, and I really thought, like, the coaching staff was, like, the real, like, the root reason that they lost the game from – um, the handling of late game situations with the challenges to the play calls to that final um, fourth down play where they just let them, they just let Jackson move up, move on the inside or pass on the inside and pick up a couple yards in the first down, which led to a manageable field goal attempt. That was the first game where I was like, if the coaches had handled things better, they would have came out with the win. Because again, the quarterback play was good enough to win. The defense, which is still struggled, you know, they still struggled, but, you know, they they did okay. I mean, they were okay to below average, but I still think, you know, if the coaching staff may have handled things a little bit differently, they win that game. No, I, I don't disagree with that. I will say this in their defense. If we're talking about the fourth and eight, how often have we seen that play right down the five seconds left, right down the middle, for nine yards on fourth and eight, as opposed to the quick hitter on the outside. Yeah, that's right out of bounds. That's right. That's what you see mostly, and that's what Flores said that he instructed his guys to defend against. So I think that one, I, that one, I go like this: tip my hat off to Jacksonville. They executed the play as perfectly as it could be executed. And and again, this goes again along the theme of the Murphy's Law. Like Jacksonville, which is a horrible team. Yeah. All of a sudden calls for a very tricky play that has to be executed just perfectly. And Jacksonville, which has done nothing right all season, boom, executed perfectly. So that one, not so much. But the rest of what you're talking about, no question about it. I had a major issue also in Vegas when they had Jason Sanders kick the 50-yard field goal in overtime instead of going for the first down on fourth and two. Yeah, that's right. And going for the win. That bothered me also. And it's kind of like... Flos is aggressive sometimes, and then, and then he sometimes is really passive, and yeah, it reverts. It reverts to yeah, the you gotta, you gotta stick to one, you know. Yeah, it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna be aggressive, be aggressive all the time. Like if you're gonna go for it on fourth and one, you might as well just go for it on fourth and one all the time, you know. I know like 
you know, he talked about the analytics. The analytics are really big right now. What I, you know, he says that he has people who he kind of consults on that. Um, but it's just like, yeah, I agree. It's almost like it kind of goes back to the to the notion that there really is no identity. Like I, I'm six games into watching this team, and I and I don't really know what this team is and what this team wants to be, especially on offense. I just have no idea what they're really trying to get at. And maybe with Tua being back, they kind of they kind of start to show what they want to be. But to this. On this very day, I, I don't really know. Like, if you ask me what do the Dolphins do, I, I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't. No, nah, yeah, I think on offense it's quick passing. And on defense, I'm at a loss because last year they had so much success with giving opposing offenses all types of different looks right before the snap. And they did it a couple of times against Jacksonville where yeah. they bring, like, seven guys to the line and then drop back a bunch and then bring them up. And they had opposing quarterbacks confused a lot of times in 2020. Mm-hmm. And they just dropped it for some reason. And I don't get it. And I, I'm not sure that maybe that made their personnel better or look better than it actually is. And we've seen a lot of guys not performing to the same level, not producing as many big plays, i.e. Jerome Baker, i.e. Uh, Andrew Van Ginkle. Yep. Uh, not having, Eric Rowe is not having the kind of year he had last year. X certainly isn't having the kind of, of season he had last year. Byron Jones was not even having the same kind of season he had last year, so I, I don't understand why why they went away from what was so successful. Yeah, I mean overall it's it's tough to um, to continue and replicate success when one your young players aren't developing at the rate that they need to, and two when your best players aren't sustaining that level of play. And it's been for it's been for a multitude of reasons, whether that's injury or just guys just not playing up to their standards. Um, so it's like I said, it's really tough to to be a good team when those two things aren't happening. Um, no, and you meant you mentioned like the town level earlier, and if you recall what Flores said in the offseason, I don't remember exactly when, but he talked about the foundation of this team is the, the previous three drafts, yeah, like 2019, 2020, and 2021. Well, I think the Dolphins were expecting big jumps, especially from all their their second year guys, the 2020 draft class, yeah. To Austin Jackson, Noah Benogany, Raekwon Davis, Robert Hunt, and Brandon Jones. And can we say that any of those guys has really taken a big jumps this year so far? I don't, mm-hmm. I was expecting, nope. I had really, really big hopes for Robert Hunt, Robert Hunt moving him to right guard. I thought he'd be a complete stud and he's been what? Okay. Yeah, he's been a, he's just a guy, you know. I mean, there's still people that are saying that he should move to right tackle and Jesse Davis should move to guard, which, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, I mean, I'm not opposed to that the way Jesse Davis has been at right tackle. So, hey, but you're right. You know, the especially that that 2020 draft could be the one to really bite the regime because and, and, and it's so unfortunate because I think the 2021 draft has been pretty good so far. I think that they could turn out to be to be pretty good. Um, but again, that 2020 draft and you know some of the some of the 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 whiffs and the misses from recent regimes, it's like it, it catches up to you. You know, when you have guys, when you draft guys in the first, second, and third round, that's supposed to be the cornerstone of your organization, and then you trade them, you release them, they're not playing. Like Noah isn't. I mean, up until yesterday, I mean, he hadn't played a single or a Sunday, he hadn't played a single defensive snap. I mean, when that happens. Again, it catches up to you. You know, you might be able to sign a couple guys in free agency, but really the best teams in the NFL, they have those young players who continue to develop and they serve as the, the foundation of, of their team. No question. And, on t- and on, to make matters worse, they completely neglected the running back position in that 2020 draft. And if you recall, when they took Igbenogany, 
not one running back had gone off the board, which means the Dolphins could have had Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift or Cam Akers or J.K. Dobbins or A.J. Dillon, any of those guys. And, nope, we're going to go running back by committee. We we like What was it Chris Greer said after this year, after they they failed to pick up Javante Williams because Denver jumped in front of them? Again, it was like, we like the guys we have. I mean, no offense to Miles Gaskin, Savan Ahmed, and Malcolm Brown, but those are three service. I'm going to be very nice serviceable running backs. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Miles is, uh, you know, he had a bad game on Sunday, but I think that I think I think he's a starting level running back. I mean, he's not going <laughs> to. No, no way, Jose. <laughs> Sorry, huh? Well, let's agree to disagree on that one. Yeah, we will, we will, because I'm a little higher on Miles than a lot of other people are, but um. Like I said, he had a rough game on Sunday, but I think he's better than that for sure. We're going to take a short break. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun with Allen. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go back just really looking at uh, how the Dolphins navigate the rest of the season as well as preview Sunday's game against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, So we'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back. I'm Daniel Yafusi. I'm still joined by Alan. I've been having a lot of fun dissecting this past game against the Jaguars, the Dolphins as a whole, and where do they go after a one and five start? Um, you know, they've got the they've got the Falcons coming up, two and three coming off the bye. Um, you know, I feel like the past couple of weeks we've been saying like, you know, the the Jags are a get right game, the Colts are a get right game, and I think that at this point, like, no game. <laughs> can be considered a get-right game because the Dolphins are everyone's get-right game. I want to ask you something real quick that stood out to me. Um, Flores was asked about this in his Monday presser. The Dolphins, according to reports, um, had the option from the NFL to have a bye after their London game. You know, the Jets had a bye and the Falcons had a bye, the two teams that played in London in Week 5. But apparently the Dolphins uh, – I guess rejected that that offer from the NFL, so they're going to be playing. You know, they they flew back um, after the lending game. They're they're going to have practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the lead up. Um, I guess Flores didn't really. He kind of declined. He declined to comment on that report or whatever that question. I guess what are your? What do you think of them? Uh, neglecting to take a bye after this week. I think that I mean nobody could have anticipated they start one and five and lose to the Jaguars. But when you look at it now, you're like, this would be a perfect time to have a bye, maybe shake some things up. But instead, they're going to kind of get right back to it. Might not be a perfect time for Brian Flores and his coaching staff. I'll tell you that. Because if, 
it, the last time there was one time the Dolphins played in London and they lost in London and that's when they replaced coach. That was Joe Philbin in 2015. And they replaced him when they came back at a time when they had a buy. So they gave him an extra week for Dan Campbell to start serving as interim head coach. So, um, no, as you mentioned, yeah, the NFL will give teams a buy unless they basically ask not to have a buy. And for the Dolphins, uh, I, I believe the, the rationale was they didn't want their buy that early in the season, that they wanted it later on. And as yes, a, I mean, it's really late. It's December 12th is when their buy is. Yeah. Um, now, the big question, of course, is how how is not having a bye going to affect the preparation this week, playing against an Atlanta team that is coming off a bye, mm-hmm. and then next week they're playing at Buffalo, which also will be coming off a bye. Yeah. So, and right now it's not like the Dolphins can afford to really throw more obstacles in their direction, you know, to try to get wins, so. Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, like I said, nobody could have predicted the way that the early season would shape out. But like I said, I think that just overall, just from a just from a morale standpoint, I feel like it would have been good to for them to just kinda of like take a step back, you know. I don't know, maybe if there was a buy, maybe we would have seen some more some some shake ups, some people um, you know, losing jobs and whatnot. But I just it just feels like, you know, they're they're just in a free fall right now and it's like it's almost I almost felt like they really did need a, a break at this point. Um, but we'll see what happens. You know, the Falcons, you know, teams usually are better coming off of a bye. Um, the Falcons aren't a, a great team. Um, you know, this is a team that they that they saw during um, during training camp because they had a couple of joint practices. Um, both teams don't really show, you know, both teams don't really show too much, don't show their hand too much during the joint practices. So I don't know if you can, if you can um, take too much from that. And the Falcons didn't even play their starters in the preseason game. Um, so you really can't take too much of that, but but I want to kind of go big picture. Um, I know you said that the team should stay the course. I think that the team should stay the course. Um, but the trade deadline is just a couple weeks away, November second, I believe, or so. Um, if teams do come calling, and I know I'm not saying I'm not saying that there's I'm not I'm not uh, citing any sourcing on this. Just just from what I've seen on on Twitter, you know, I've, I've seen somebody say that you know if teams come calling for a player like Xavier Howard or somebody. Um, the Dolphins should be sellers, um, and I've seen I've seen articles written about this as well. I mean, do you think that the team should potentially look to being in the selling mode um, if things don't turn around? If they don't, you know, it's going to be hard to turn things around before the trade deadline because it's just a couple weeks away. But do you think that they should kind of be in that mood or at least be taking some calls? Yeah, if you're talking about guys who don't necessarily fit into the long range plans, like they have a couple of pending UFAs, and if they've already decided they're not resigning. For example, Mike Gesicki, then maybe it behooves you to see what you can get for him. I'm, I'm not. This is just me throwing out a name. I'm just as yeah. an example. Uh, X is an interesting case because X, we know how the contract dispute or impasse was resolved in the summer. While it included some sort of agreement that the contract would be revisited in the spring, I think you and I both know that maybe the Dolphins will honor that, but not necessarily that they're crazy with the idea of, again, redoing his contract next spring. Yeah. Or if somebody comes calling with a good enough offer, I, I I wouldn't be floored if X would be on his way out. On that, would you? You know, I haven't been around the organization long enough to, to say, like, I wouldn't be surprised by a move. I think that if, um, you know, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of Chris Greer and Brian Ford's discussions right now 
Because for all we know, I mean, you know, they'll they'll say we're playing to win. We're, but for all we know, they could be kind of shifting the um, the lens of the of you know their their view of the season as well, and being like, hey, we're you we might really might not make the playoffs. Let's try to you know make some moves to in for next season. Um, they could be, they could be not. Um, you know, I would be, I would be, I think I'd be surprised by that move um, just because publicly. You know, they've kept a strong face. They kept on saying, we, we think we're going to turn this around. We're close, we're close, we're close. So I think I would be surprised um, by a move like that, that magnitude. And I think that would be kind of them, you know, kind of telling us, if they were to move a guy like like X or somebody else, that would be them kind of telling us without telling us, hey, we're starting to, to get things in mind for 2022. Here's the thing, though. And this is why maybe Sunday's game is very could be very telling because if they lose Sunday, they're one and six. Do 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 either of us really expect them to have a chance to win at Buffalo on Halloween? And nobody, nope, and nobody expects them to beat Baltimore the way they're playing on nope. November. They get that game though because yeah. now you're one at seven when the trading deadline occurs. That's true. Yeah. Oh, if you're sitting at one and seven, if they lose to Atlanta. Then I think it's a lot more justifiable to, to say, listen, we're looking for the long term health of the organization and this is the move that's going to help us the most in the long term. If, if it's two and six instead of one and seven, uh, even at that, does it make a big difference? I don't yeah. know. Um, let's just say I would say I would, I wouldn't put anything in, in the realm of impossibility. Dan, the, the other issue also is how many players do the Dolphins have that teams would really want? Yeah, I know. Um, like somebody even threw out like Emmanuel Agla's name. You know, he's a guy who's um, on a contract year. He he's played pretty well. He's probably been one of their top five players, probably. I mean, not a lot of guys have played well, but um, I mean, if he Christian Wilkins has probably stood out. Um, yeah, again, I just I just don't know if publicly, you know, the Lions can make a move like that. Um, because they're like kind of firmly in a rebuild. Um, the Dolphins, albeit um, we've seen that they're not at the level that many expected them to be, and maybe that they expected themselves to be, um, they're still presenting the notion that they're trying to compete right now, and they're you know they're past the quote unquote rebuilding stages. Um, so again, I'd be kind of surprised, but I guess to your point, I guess nothing would be too surprising. No, but the, the question with Agba then becomes. Does he fit into the Dolphins' vision moving past this year? If they've already decided there's no way he's going to want too much money, there's no way we're re-signing him as a free agent in the offseason, then sure, to see if you can get something for him. But then whoever trades for him has to know they're 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 trading for a pending UFA, and now they're going to have to deal with yeah. the contract situation. So I mean, you you pointed something out. You said does he fit into the the Dolphins' vision? I mean, what is the Dolphins' vision? Like, like I wrote it in my in my gamer this past Sunday. Like, I, I said that the team has no identity and a bleak future because I really don't know. Like, again, I don't know what the Dolphins are. The defense, I, I think, if anything, if one thing you could count on the defense, you could say this defense was aggressive. Um, they were physical. They forced turnovers. They're not any of that right now. And the offense is still in the early stages of figuring out what is it going to be with Tua and how good it can be with Tua. So it's like, like, I really don't know what the vision is. Like they, they traded, well, they traded away their first round pick next year to, to move up and draft Jalen Waddle. 
that pick is right now a projected top three pick going to the Eagles. Um, they have the 49ers pick, which is 11th, but I mean, for all we know, the 49ers could kind of get things going and that pick could not be nearly as high as it is right now. Like, like what is their vision? What is their future? Like, I, I just don't, I just don't know right now. No, yeah, yeah, you had to bring up the Waddle trade, which is, which I find depressing because. I mean, I, I didn't even bring it up the first couple, first couple losses, but it looks so, like, if, if that turns to be, like, if it's anywhere near a top 10 pick, it's going to look to be so egregious. And Jalen Waddle could be a very fine wide receiver for all we know. But, again, if that ends up being, like, a top 10, top 5 pick, that could go down as, like, one of the most egregious moves of the Chris Greer era. Oh, no, no question. And it's like, I mean, the sad part is, on the one hand, he's been one of your most productive offensive players, if not the most productive offensive player. Yeah. On the other hand, he's a sixth overall pick in the draft who's averaging eight yards a catch. That's Jarvis, yeah. Landry, Jarvis Landry territory. And on, on top of that, he's got a few drops. So to me, I'm sorry, but that's not what I'm, what I envisioned the sixth overall pick. And when they made the trade from three to 12 to pick up two first round picks, I was like, holy smokes, do I love that trade? What an awesome trade. And I think they, everybody was. <laughs> and then they went, and then they went from 12 to six to pick up Jalen Waddle and and I, and, and, I, and I get it. They wanted to bring a speed element to the offense, but eight yards per catch is not a speed element to the offense. Sorry. Um, and how much of that is strictly him? How much of that is just the fact that the, the blocking up front is so bad or is it his, his skills, his otherworldly skills at Alabama don't necessarily translate in the NFL? I'm not sure yet. But the bottom line is right now, I really, really wish they'd have stayed at 12. Yeah. Where yeah, they could have got Rashawn Slater, by the way. They could have. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say the past couple of weeks we've been – I feel like every episode of the past couple of weeks we've just been going down, like, the, the number of misses. And it's like, how different could this team be if they got Herbert? I don't like making the comparison right now because I still want to see Tua and see, you know, what he can be. So I don't like making that comparison. There, is no, like, com- there is no comparison. Yeah, there well, yeah. No you comparison. can say there is no comparison right now. But even, like you said, the taking Noah instead of one of the countless running backs that, 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 that they could have – uh, taken off the board, um, just so many Austin Jackson, like you said, no, so many, so many different picks. You know, again, that like like Joe Shad, who I had a couple weeks ago, he he posted the the, the weekly tankathon update on Sunday, uh, every Sunday after games, and it's like the first couple of losses, I was like, come on, man, why are we, why are we doing tankathon updates? Why are we looking at like? Yeah. And then he did the like one on Sunday, and it's like it's a top three pick, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if the Eagles get, like, the third overall pick, the tenth overall pick? I think they have another pick or something like that. Yeah, they have the Colts first round pick if Wentz plays enough snaps. Oh, my gosh. And it looks like he is right now. Like, that would just be brutal. That would be brutal. Yeah, and then, again, it's it's like, right, they can't get it right. I mean, the the thought was good. I'm I'm not sure. I I would think they expected more explosiveness out of Jalen Waddell than they've gotten. Um, but one that you, one can make the argument if it wasn't for Jalen Waddle, who would be catching passes because everybody else is always hurt. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. And again, Jalen Waddle could be a very fine receiver, but it's almost like the value at that pick, you know, the value at six along with giving up the first round pick probably isn't justified. But we'll see um, in due time. I want to move on to this upcoming game against the Falcons again, two and three, coming to Hard Rock Stadium, coming off a of bye. 
we did see this team a little bit um, during training camp with, with uh, joint practices. Um, but, again, we didn't really see them in the preseason game because they rested a lot of starters. So um, can't really judge too much off of that. Um, do you have a prediction yet? I I want to – I got to be honest. I feel like I've been giving the Dolphins the benefit of the, of the doubt for about a month so far. I got I even I mean I didn't I didn't know that uh I didn't know that Howard and Jones and Parker and Williams aren't all weren't gonna play, but I still thought like I mean it's the Jaguars. You you can you can win that game. It's I, was wrong. Yeah. I, I I was wrong. I've been giving the team the benefit of the doubt way too long. I remember even speaking to you before the season started and I said I was wavering between eight and nine and ten and seven for my for my regular season prediction. And I I went with eight I went with ten and seven more on a whim, just to you know, just to say, all right, I'll go ten and seven. You know, I'll give the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think I'm done with that. I mean, I don't know really on paper which team is better. I mean, maybe the Dolphins a little bit, but they just been so bad. It's like almost you almost got to show me now for me to kind of get back on on board. So I'm gonna pick the Falcons in a close one. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'll say twenty four twenty one. I originally picked the Falcons to to win this game because I thought that coming back from London and when I thought that maybe they needed uh, there wouldn't be enough time to kind of get their bodies right. But what do you think? Well, yeah, I usually make my predictions later in the week, so I'm not sure I'm gonna fill <laughs> out something. But I got you. I, I I'm having a, it's very difficult right now to pick the Dolphins. I mean, I, I watched the Falcons when they played the Jets um, in London. And they weren't overly impressive, but then again, they were playing the Jets, who are really, really bad, also. Yeah. Uh, and so that was rough. But Kyle Pitts really showed up in that game. Yeah. And this is another guy who was men who was linked to the Dolphins as a possibility before the 2021 draft. And now there's also word that uh, Calvin Ridley's going to be back at practice this week. Yeah. And he might play for the Falcons. That's a whole other set of problems, uh, especially if Jones and Howard aren't back in the lineup. Yeah. Um, and and certainly, I, I would hope not. There's not a single person who takes any stock in what happened in the preseason game here, when this was a game when Tua completely torched the Atlanta defense. Which he was, he, was, he was playing guys who I don't even think are on. Like I think half of those guys might not even be on any football right there, now. There was nobody <laughs> on that field that night, and they were playing vanilla <laughs> defense on top of the, on top of that. So, um, no. It, it, Again, the bottom line is right now it's very difficult until we see some tangible signs to have any kind of confidence that the Dolphins can pull out a win. Yeah, I mean, you would think that it's got to start somewhere eventually. I mean, if they don't, if they don't get a, a win here, it can get really ugly again. Like you said, with the with the Bills coming up, they got a Thursday night game with the Ravens. So if they don't win here, maybe get a little bit of momentum, it can get really ugly. Um, I think the health of a, of a lot, you know, they got a lot of key guys banged up. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know about you. I didn't expect Howard and Jones to be both out. I was kind of a little surprised at Jones because um, we didn't see him with the working out with the kind of. We didn't see him working out pregame with kind of the guys that are usually inactive. Um, but from what Flores said, they just like. Well, he said they worked him out. I just, I didn't see that. Um, but Preston, oh sorry, excuse me. He said with Jones, he woke up and he just didn't feel good. I guess, I guess, I guess Preston was the guy that they worked out. Um, pre-game. I saw him out there, and they just decided not to make him act, active. But if you know, if they're missing any one or two of those guys in, in, in the secondary, I mean, it could be a field day for for Ridley. Um, you know, Noah had some struggles again. Um, you know, he was he was out there fighting, but you know, he she still still had some struggles. 
Um, you know, it's going to be tough for him, Justin Coleman and Nick Needham to, to match up against Calvin Ridley and maybe Kyle Pitts a little bit if, if, if they can't go. Noah's coverage was good. He just didn't make plays on the ball. And, and in fairness to him, the touchdown pass was just a beautiful throw by Kevin It was. Moore. I mean, he could put, he put it the only place he could put it. And the coverage was really good. And there was a play down in the sideline where it looked to me like Noah maybe mistimed his jump just a little bit and that allowed yeah. Jones to go over the top. But to me, it was a little bit of progress because what I saw from Noah an awful lot as a rookie was he would get caught peeking into the backfield and guys would double move him to death. Yeah. And there wasn't was anything agree, yeah. Because there Sunday wasn't, wasn't anything like that. Sunday wasn't anything egregious. Um, again, obviously, it'll it'll definitely help a lot if, if Jones, Howard, or, uh, you know, the combination of those two are back. I think the defense would be in a lot better place. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna see. You know, again, regardless, there's no excuses at this point. You know, nobody nobody's still. I'm sorry for the Dolphins, really, about their injuries, about their struggles. Um, they got to go out there and they got to fix it somehow. And um, you know, we're we're gonna see if they fix it. And um, you know, we'll be back next week to to recap all of that and more. Um, that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Dolphins and Death Podcast. I want to say thank you so much to Alan for joining me. I had a lot of fun talking talking with you. I, I've been saying it to everybody that I've been having um, from the from the beat on um, on the podcast. You know, it's been great to meet you guys. It's been great to, to talk about the team. I know we have we have a lot of really really lively discussions in the in the media workroom. Um, so it's it's glad to to be able to get some of you guys on here and kind of kind of get the the more unadult you know unadulterated or uh, more more PC I'll say um, PG version of those conversations. So thank you so much, man. No, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, most definitely, man. And uh, we'll see you next week for another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. Take care.